Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is freight forwarding basics with my friend, Miles Varghese. Welcome, Miles. Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Looking forward to it. I've had some great conversations with Miles. He knows all about the freight forwarding process. He sells softwares to small and medium-sized companies in this business. So he knows the three PLs, I should say, the freight forwarders. So he knows quite a bit about this. And we went through this process a few times offline. And I'm really excited that we can walk through this. And my feeling is always the same, Miles, is that if you're a transportation guy, you might do over the road. And then you kind of go, I don't really know freight forwarding very well. And then there's freight forwarders who don't know anything about warehousing or over the road transportation. We have a huge business that we're in and the supply chain guys want us to understand it all. And it's hard to understand it all because there's a lot of pieces to transportation and logistics. So Miles, introduce yourself and your company and where you live. Great, Joe. Thank you. My name is Miles Varghese, co-founder and CEO currently at CargoLogic. I'm a new husband, dog dad, and I like to think a pretty passionate sales professional turned into a CEO and an industry innovator, having been in maritime shipping and logistics for a few years now. I currently live in Miami. The company is also based here in Miami. I was actually born in Hershey, Pennsylvania. My parents moved to States back in the 80s. They decided to move down to West Palm Beach, actually Wellington, Florida, which is where I grew up. So I went to Wellington High School just outside of West Palm Beach, about an hour north of Miami, and then attended the University of Miami from 2005 to 2009. What did you go to school for? Well, first I started off actually trying to become a doctor. That didn't quite work out. And then I took a hand at finance and accounting and basically trying all three of those to appease my parents and to do right by my parents who came here and worked so hard to get me and my brother here. Where they come from? They came from India. And naturally, Indian parents generally want to see their daughters, sons become doctors, lawyers, or accountants. And unfortunately, I just was not up to par and it just didn't fit who I was in, in my DNA. But my brother's a doctor. He's 20 months older than me. He checked that box. Yes, exactly. He checked that box, took my parents' advice, and now he's working at UNC after spending some time at Hopkins. So proud South Indian immigrant. Been here in Miami since 2005. So consider myself uh, Miamian at this point. Right. I don't think it'll be too much longer before Indian parents, and all parents for that matter, will say, I hope my kid gets into technology, especially freight tech. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're changing the world here, Miles. So let's talk about freight forwarding basics. Today's topic, again, is freight forwarding basics. Miles, why do companies, first off, even need freight forwarding? Please explain that process. Great question, Joe. So I think starting from the top, freight forwarding is really about transporting goods from point A to point B, and then managing and coordinating that freight and that movement along the path and ensuring that that delivery is done on time, on budget. And as you guys know, and I think as many as your audience know, it's really a very complex process. And we're talking cross-border with this stuff. Yeah, that's correct. International freight forwarding. And you know, even over the road, though, if you look at them, they're actually very, very complementary. And often you'll have an international freight forwarder subcontracting to an over-the-road broker. And so that's just one piece of the same sort of supply chain project, if you will, that same one shipment. We actually see a lot of overlap. Of course, you know they're different, definitely not ignoring that, but definitely a lot of overlap also in terms of the core requirements of the job, You know, just different responsibilities for different functions of the supply chain. Yep. There's an old saying that 
If goods don't cross borders, armies will. So I'm always a big believer that trade and hopefully free trade and trade that benefits all parties is a big plus. And we have to continue that. We don't think of ourselves as part of this noble task. Sometimes we just say, hey, we're moving freight and who cares, right? But this is what makes the world go wrong. That's why we all have inexpensive cell phones and $300 big screen TVs now. So it's a great thing that we're part of and we should remind ourselves of that more often. So normally this is done when we're talking about freight forwarding by ocean or by air, correct? Is there any other way that stuff moves? Yes, primarily ocean, air, of course, and international freight forwarding. And then domestically, right, you have your intermodals, you know, the rail included, you know, your roadways, those sort of avenues as well. Miles, let's talk about these steps. And when we were talking offline, we talked about there being eight steps. And really where your kind of your lens is small and medium-sized freight forwarders and what they have to go through through the steps. So let's assume I'm trying to move electronics and I want my electronics moved from China, most likely, to the U.S., and I'm here based in the U.S. So let's talk about the eight steps that these freight forwarders go through. What's the first step on their list? So the first step, Joe, is really to receive that quote request. And you know, we'll approach these steps in a general format. It's really hard to really nail down exactly what the process is going to look like in a different region or you know, a different specific trade lane or a specific niche of product or commodity that, that, that they might, move, might be moving. So we'll look at it from a general lens here for the small to medium independent forwarder. And the first step really is just receiving that initial quote request. And usually that quote request is going to come from a loyal customer, meaning someone that you've done business with. And usually that message is going to start off as a WhatsApp text or an SMS or a WeChat message saying, hey, I need to move a box or I need to move you know, this cargo from point A to point B, which is the most common way that we found that these independent forwarders around the world are interacting with their customers through the many conversations we've had, or the other way in which they're interacting with new or prospective customers that are looking for information, trying to get a quote, for example, they're probably coming to your website in this day and age. And if it's one thing also that some of these independent freight forwarders are lacking is the teams to effectively run their website. So they're usually hitting up the old-fashioned contact us button on their website, which you know may be going to nowhere, or maybe that website doesn't even exist in the first place. So they need a lot of help starting from that first step. So that first step is receive initial quote request. And that would come from me, the shipper, and I say, I need some stuff, move miles. The process starts. And again, I've done it in the past. I know I did it through email, phone, text, a million different ways, because there's a lot of information. And which brings us to the second step. What is that second step? The second step is really about gathering and prepping all the key information that's required in order to respond to that quote in an intelligent manner. What I mean by that is that you may get a quote request, but it could be coming from the other side of the world. And that's when it becomes that much more challenging to stay in sync with that other person, to get the cargo details, to get to get the origin and destination terms. Because, you know, in that text message, or that WhatsApp message, it's usually just going to be, hey, I need to move a box from point A to point B. And that other person maybe is going to work on something else because they're in logistics or they're going to sleep or they're in a different time zone. So you really have to dial down into what the customer is looking for. And when it comes time to respond to that request, you know, timing is everything. So the clock really starts ticking where you have to get the business preferences, better understand their budgets, the cargo details, the origin, destination, Inco terms, there's all sorts of information that needs to be collected along with the payment terms. And then you have to verify a lot of the legal requirements naturally that are in place between the countries on which the trading is going to be taking place. You know, so we're talking import export licenses, being able to show proof of ownership, showing your bonds. That's really the crux of the second step. 
So what is IncoTerms? So the IncoTerms is the international commercial terms, which basically identify and explain in a more or less unified fashion of who is responsible for the cargo and to what point, right? And what are the requirements around that, right? So whether your payment terms are prepaid or collect, you're taking the payment now, or is it going to be free on board, or is it delivery duty paid? You know, there's so many different Inco terms there, and they're constantly evolving and changing. I think they pushed some updates within the last few years, but generally that's what the Inco terms mean. And I'm not a lawyer, you know, so usually, you know, you do want to engage with lawyers. <laughs> yeah. That's a whole podcast on Inco terms. So the first thing, me, the shipper, I reach out to you, you get that initial quote request. And then second, you start saying, Joe, I need the following. And this, I swear to God, this is the hardest part in this for me as a shipper. I've done this before. And it seems as if when you give all your information, they say, Joe, I need the following eight things or 10 things. And I give it to them. And then shortly, I receive message that, no, this isn't what I asked you for. You got to get me the following. And there's always two or three things that they ask for that I go, is that standard? Do I always need that? (laughs) And the forms that I think are required, I'm only short one or two. I won't call myself a professional shipper on that freight, but I've done it in the past. It is not an easy thing to collect that. And I feel bad for the freight broker on the other side of the phone or on the other side of the computer because it's not easy. Yep, that's correct. And you know, if you start thinking about that commercial rep who's got to balance out how they're going to operate their business, you know, do you focus on your loyal customers? You know, as a small, you know, independent company, you're probably not going to have the massive sales team that you need to really field all inquiries as well as take care of all your customers, right? So it becomes and it continues to become increasingly challenging to manage everything. And unfortunately, you know, in, in today's world and when it comes to independent small to medium forwarders, what we found is a lot of lack of structure here where people are responding to texts and calls like they need to, right, to get this information. But what it ends up doing is really taking away from their core focus and core performance at the end of the day. Yeah. And I will also say, well, and we'll get to this a little more as we go through the process, but there's another issue I think that's freight forwarders, small ones, big, medium ones would have is usually if I'm a 3PL or if I'm a shipper, I'm going to say, I need a quote. And the problem is, it's not like getting a freight quote from Detroit to Chicago. It's going to be a lot more complex. You're going to need a lot more information. So you could spend hours and hours just collecting information to give a quote that they go, okay, yeah, thanks for the quote, Miles. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I'm going to go a different way. That guy was 50 bucks cheaper. But next time, we'll try it again. (laughs) Yep. There's a lot of time and redundancy that exists, right, at the very foundation's freight forwarding, which is why it's one of the spaces that is evolving you know, quite rapidly. There's just absolutely a need to kind of overcome some of these redundant activities. And at the end of the day, you and me both know that this industry is about people. It's about humans, connecting with humans and having that relationship in place. And if you have that strong relationship and you have the intelligence in front of you, you can respond quicker, faster, and hopefully beat out the other quotes that that shipper is receiving as well. So it ends up becoming a ticking clock of how quickly you can respond. And like you said, who knows if this is even going to work out, but even responding to those quotes and preparing them, as you know, takes time. You know, So, so much time is just being wasted responding to quotes where we've heard from these independent forwarders and brokers that their success rate is at best, you know, maybe 20 to 25% on average. No wonder they want to work with repeat. So this first step, again, was receive initial quote request from the shipper. That would be me. Second is you have to gather and prep all the key information required. That is a short step word-wise, but it probably takes the longest. And then what's the third step? The third step is to build that quote. So to put together the optionality and to share it using the best available options that that forwarder was able to secure. 
I think a lot of independent forwarders know the pains associated with that, where it sounds super simple, but at the end of the day, it ends up becoming a very time-consuming task where you've got to identify the appropriate trade lanes, the routes, the different providers that are in place, receive multiple quotes, you know, maybe different dates that you need to play around with, and basically need to work with that customer again, you know, to continue collaborating with them to determine what that best option is that's going to meet the criteria and the demands, right, to make sure that their shippers, their clients' deliveries are going to be on time as well. And that's just with the customer. And there's even more, right? If you think about internal teams, you know, there's internal pricing teams, there's marketing teams. Then the bigger you go, there's different departments. And often you will need to obtain approval from different departments. And often what we found, even as you get bigger, is that there's often discrepancies in pricing, miscommunications that happen between branches. And unless you have all that information housed in one place and you're staying in sync, it really becomes hard to do what you need to do, which is to be able to present quickly multiple quotes, multiple options to the client so that they know that you're putting in the time and the effort. And they also are going to be very price sensitive as well during this process. So very challenging. Yep. So when I'm the shipper and I'm bringing something in from China, it's most likely going to come to LA, but there is options to bring it in elsewhere into Washington or Oregon, right? And then maybe those are better options for me right now. So you have to consider all those options given what's going on with the shipping market. So I understand you want to kind of put together that whole package for me. So that's build and share quote for the best available option. So what's the next step that small and medium sized freight brokers go through when they're getting quotes together. So this is where you want to win the quote, right? So in step four, you're presenting those quote options that you spent time, hours trying to gather and get the best rates, You know, talk to the different providers and to take care of that customer. But winning that quote is a challenge. And what you need to do with this next step is really to confirm that that customer is on board, that they like your quote, that they want to proceed with the booking, and you need to get the approval you need to get that signature from the client to go ahead and to execute that booking. So that way you can start immediately as the freight forwarder or the broker to secure those bookings and to secure those slots, to secure that space on that liner, to make sure that it's in place and that what you promised is what you're going to be able to deliver. And at that point, you want to finalize that shipping schedule and then share it with your shipper as well. So usually at this step, you're going to get a good sense of if you've won the business or not. That's really the ultimate goal. Yep. So at this point, you know whether I have the credit and I'm actually legit and all that. Have you already done that step? Yeah, that's correct. And that can kind of happen concurrently too, I think, as we go. So you're giving me that quote for our process step. We have to assume we won that. So what's the next step? Step number five. Step five is actually sharing the booking details, right? So after that quote has turned into an actual booking, that it's confirmed, that it's to be a shipment, then you want to share those booking details naturally, you know, with the customers. And given today's customer demands, expectations, you need to make sure that the booking details are accurate. And then here's kind of what you mentioned before, right? Ensuring that compliance and the trade laws are followed, that the regulations between the different countries are acknowledged and the paperwork are filed, you know, to local national authorities. You know, also to your point, ensuring that the proper bonds and insurances are in place in case that cargo gets halted or, you know, CVP stops it, whatever it might be. You need to make sure that everything is sort of clear with the specific booking while you're sharing it with them as well. So at this point, you still haven't even moved a piece of freight. We're already at step five. <laughs> Not easy. So what's number six? Yeah, I agree with you, Joe. Like it's such a tedious, time-consuming, challenging process. And also why we are very mission-driven and, and we want to have an impact. You know, we understand the struggles that are happening with the majority of these forwarding and brokerage organizations, you know, especially here in the US. So for step six, you have to coordinate, communicate the movement of the cargo, 
and monitor for exceptions naturally, right? Your customer success is your success. Ensuring an on-time, on-budget delivery is obviously what everyone wants to achieve. That may not necessarily be the case, but this is often what I think folks outside of the industry kind of just see and think about when they're thinking about this entire process. Like you said, at this point, you're already you know almost to the completion of the entire process. But I think the world at large thinks about freight forwarding as just you know updating the customer. You know they're used to the Amazon logistics timelines, DHL tracking numbers, and at this point, that shipper also wants to be updated. Right? They want to see their milestones. They want to see updates. They want to know if something is going to go south, you know, earlier, sooner, so that they can solve it and respond to it and manage that exception. And basically, at the end of the day, both parties will be happy if, you know, everything is on schedule, which requires that freight forwarder, right? And a lot easier said than done, making sure that that movement of the cargo is against the projected schedule, right? To ensure that that delivery is going to be on time. And then execution, obviously, is the name of the game where you need to also stay on top of all the different vendors that you've contracted or are working with to move that cargo to make sure that everything happens smoothly. And if it's one thing that we know about logistics is that things go wrong often. (laughs) Right. And, you know, this is traditionally, and again, I'm not currently moving anything back and forth to China, but in the past I have. And I remember way back in the 90s, I was working in automotive and I was back and forth to China and I was sending a lot of stuff, air freight, a lot of stuff, ocean freight. And I remember my supply guys told me, you ever heard the term slow boat to China? I was like, yeah, he goes, that's what your stuff is moving on. (laughs) I was like, Oh, okay. I was always wondering where that came from. But you're three weeks on the ocean, four weeks on the ocean, right? And then I think we haven't said it in this podcast, but I think there's 15 different people involved in a lot of these different and maybe five or six different companies. It's much different than moving something domestically. You have a lot of players involved. That's been one of the challenges in going digital and being connected like we are in having the visibility that we expect on the domestic side. Yeah, I agree. I think that at the end of the day, visibility is the name of the game and kind of what everyone is also striving for beyond just freight forwarding. And the more transparency you have, the more, you know, things that are communicated on time, you know, in real time, the more that we can get ahead of things, you know, the better off we can be. So I agree with you there. Yep. So with step six, where they're coordinating and communicating the movement and monitoring the shipment, the bar has risen so far in logistics and transportation and the Amazon effect, as we call it, everybody expects to be updated. We're not getting anything quickly when it's coming from China or from anywhere overseas, but there is an expectation that I'm still going to get real-time updates. People expect visibility today. So I can imagine that that requirement has moved over to freight forwarding. Am I correct? That's absolutely correct, right? And I think, hate them or love them, you have to live up to the customer expectation regardless whether you want to or not. So staying up to speed, providing transparency, providing those real-time updates on the terms, right? Also of the shipper, them being able to just open up their phone, you know, at any point in time to get an SMS, you know, at the consumer level, we're so used to it at this point that, you know, honestly, like, why shouldn't we, right? I think it's a rational thought. Why shouldn't we have the same level of clarity and transparency throughout the entire supply chain? And you know that that's also easier said than done and is essentially the holy grail for what I think everyone is sort of searching for. You know, if you're a member of the supply chain, you want that 100% visibility and there's different ways to kind of get it. But I agree with you there. Right. And I should also say there's some giants in this space who are tech forward. They're raising the bar also. So if you're small or medium freight forwarder, you have to kind of get with the program too. And this is kind of the same process we went through with over the road freight 
We had some guys who were these tech forward companies, whether they were established players or whether they were Silicon Valley upstarts, they started raising the bar and all of a sudden everyone said, hey, we got to get on board. We have to do the same. So I think it's happening to freight forwarding. It's a little slower because the process is so much more involved, but it's happening. (laughs) Absolutely. What's the seventh step? So the seventh step is really being able to modify that delivery plan as necessary. So in the sixth step, you're really kind of coordinating, communicating, measuring, monitoring. And then seven is if shit hits the fan, you need to be able to respond and to have a plan in place. So being able to modify that plan as necessary is really about reducing the risk of delays, being able to control costs, which is obviously important to all parties working on that specific shipment. You need to have those backups in place. You need to have your second string and your third string ready to go because things do go wrong. Tires do blow. Documents do go missing, unfortunately. And you need to make sure that you have everything there recorded as best as you can, which is a challenge in itself to also relay any of those changes that may have occurred to that customer as soon as possible, right? Because again, you know, their success is your success. And if you're not being able to proactively give the customer a heads up and to let them know, hey, I think we might have a problem here. And by the time that they find out about it, you know, it's too late, you know, they've already lost a ton of money. They're probably not going to go with you again, right? So the shipper actually expects that you are going to stay on top of things. That's why they hire you. They want to know what's happening. Again, you know, this all kind of boils that back down to transparency and they want to just be notified. You know, they want the communication to happen, that there's going to be delay, that there's going to be an increase in cost, that, you know, there's been some damages. All that information is so critical and important for them to know. And often shippers, it's really hard to get those updates. And even as freight forwarders to receive those updates from the liners and from the providers themselves can be a challenge as well. So that's why I think modifying the plan is a step onto itself here. Right. I think also because it is such a long process, especially if you're getting something from Asia, could be a month. Stuff gets stuck in LA or stuck in the port over in Asia. Freight forwarders are traditionally pretty good at managing expectations, you know, saying, Hey, this could be here next week or the week after if something goes wrong. But again, the bar is starting to rise for freight forwarding, just like it's rising in the domestic. So I think people will have to get better at that. So what's the eighth step? And this is the last step in the process that we talked about. The eighth step is the final step. You wish that collecting payment and confirming delivery was going to be the easiest thing, right? You've done all this work. You've done all this coordination. You move the cargo. You check the plan. But getting payment, right? Even after that cargo is delivered, we've heard and know that that is absolutely a challenge, especially on the domestic level as an independent broker, right? If you're a small operation, you can only push so hard and so far, you know, in some cases. And that's why it's important to confirm that the cargo was delivered, which again, you know, is easier said than done. To obtain the proof of delivery, you know, you need to stay on top of the trucker and the trucking company. You need to stay on top of the warehouse. You need to make sure that you get your receipts, that they're sent to you. And often, I think the natural requirement these days is to have a physical photo of the cargo in front of the location as well. So people want to see and know what happened throughout the entire operation. They want to see that their cargo was delivered on time. They also want to double check and to make sure that you did what you said you were going to do and that the service that you provided them and the cost that you quoted them was in line with the expectations. Like you're saying, you know, having to manage expectations is such a big part of it too, on top of communicating. And if there are any inconsistencies, right, depending on that shipper and how sensitive they are, they can really make your work that much more tougher. But you have to resolve any inconsistencies, you know, they may have arisen. You know, maybe there was something that you may have not even been aware of. Maybe the trucker never sent you a picture or, you know, the trucking company never sent you an update and they had to try delivery twice, right? Things along those lines. 
the shipper wants to know. And they're also grading you on that as well. So before they pay you, they're going to for sure double check that the invoices are matching up, that any questions they might have had are resolved. And then depending on the payment terms and the ECO terms, you have to collect that payment you know, as well. So unfortunately, a lot of the times, not only are you doing the service, but you also have to prove that you're doing and providing this valuable service to them as well. Good stuff. So I'm going to read these eight steps. So I'll just go real quick. Then I want to talk to you about what problems that small and medium size freight forwarders face. So the first step in this process when the shipper reaches out is receive initial quote request. Seems simple enough. It's a little more complicated on step two, gather and prep all the information required to pull together so you can get a quote. Number three is build and share quote using best available options. So you might give multiple options to your customer, the shipper. Number four is present and obtain quote confirmation to win the business, kind of giving the quote. Step five is share booking details with clients. Good, means you won the business. Number six is coordinating, communicating the movement of goods. It could be a long process because sometimes this stuff's on the ocean or in the air for weeks. Well, not in the air for weeks, but over the ocean for weeks. (laughs) Number seven is modify the delivery plan as required. Things go wrong. And when you've got a process that takes, you know, four weeks, a lot of things have time to go wrong. And then last but not least, you said confirm delivery and collect payment. Appreciate you sharing those. So what are some of the problems faced by small and medium-sized freight forwarders right now? Great question. So the first biggest challenge that they have, and it appears when your shipper is comparing you to DHL or a FedEx, right? There's no way that you're going to be able to beat, more than likely, it's going to be very difficult for you. I shouldn't say no way. More than likely, very difficult for you to beat FedEx or to beat DHL, right? Unless you have like some really highly specified niche, it becomes very difficult, right? So what you're seeing now is what we call diseconomies of scale. Basically, a fancy way of saying, you know, if you look at Maersk, if you look at FedEx, you know, if you look at DHL, if you look at all these forward-thinking companies, they're building customer experience-focused tools aimed at the smaller companies. So they don't have the tech teams or the innovation budgets or the scale to really compete. So that's the first piece. What you're telling me is that you're competing against your carrier network, in effect, or your liner network. Correct. That kind of takes us to point two. This one, you do have the liners kind of pushing back a little bit, and they've been in the media saying that, hey, we're not aiming to come for your business or anything like that. But if you talk to the global market you know, of independent freight forwarders, they're absolutely worried about it, and they're knowledgeable of it. And they know that Maersk Twill accounts for I think roughly 25% of their bookings, which is their platform aimed at small to medium shippers. So that the carriers are in fact competing right now. Now, to what extent, you know, that can be subjective, but the carriers are competing, you know, at least when we are speaking to this independent market, the carriers are competing, getting back into logistics, acquiring logistics companies and investing in technology around those customer facing tools as well. Okay. That's a challenge and it makes sense. I mean, though they've got billion dollar investments in assets. I'm not surprised they say how much more would it take to go directly to consumers, right to the shippers. And there's a precedent for it, right? I mean, if you look at the aggregators that are out there, Travelocity, you know, Hotwire, Expedia, all the commercials that we've seen, you know, a million times, you know, when we're trying to save a buck or two, they've come up, right? So I think that you've kind of seen some of the liners kind of follow this trend. And even more closely than that, you know, actually taking us into a point three is you also have to worry about if you're an independent forwarder broker, the quick rise of some of these digital forwarders who are aiming to disintermediate. Right. 
What do you mean by say that word again? Disintermediate? Yeah, aiming to disintermediate, which is basically a fancy way of saying we're going to cut out the middleman. We think that they're inefficient. The business has been the same for the last 10 or 15 years and computers are going to take their business really soon. And we actually do not subscribe to that, right? So at Cargo Logic, where we're helping these independent small to medium forwarders, we actually believe in empowering and enabling these established companies to help them close the gap and to better kind of keep up you know, to introduce affordable customized facing technology, like you see in some of the amazing startups that have been funded to the tunes of billions today. So I think when you have all three of those things kind of lining up, it's a really, really tough time to be in freight forwarding, let alone to be an independent forwarder or broker. So what seems to happen in over the road, which is the bigger chunk of what we talk about on this podcast, if you look at over the road, what's happened in recent years is there's been a consolidation and then you had a ton of like tech startups. And one of the things I've noticed is the tech startups, they're not just bringing technology, they're bringing a really a fresh approach to the business and fresh eyes. And there's a lot of investment dollars behind those guys. And so when you look at that consolidation and this technology, it's hard to call them upstarts at this point because they're getting big. The same thing's happening over on the freight forwarding side. We start to see some tech giants and we see some of the established players flexing their muscles a little bit. So if you're on the smaller, the medium size freight forwarders, you've got to respond. Yeah, absolutely. And now is actually the time where you do want to respond in quickly. And I think the easy cop out is to say, oh, we're transitioning to work from home. We've got too much to deal with right now. And I think that's the absolutely viable answer, right? You need to stay true to your loyal customers and execute on what you're doing. But if you're not at least taking small steps towards digitizing your own operation and providing digital customer experience that's going to keep up with what customers are starting to expect today, if you're not doing that, you're going to be in some hot water if you're not already. And I think that a lot of the independent freight forwarders and brokers around the world today are cognizant of that. And I think just with the early traction that we've got, even with Cargo Logic, it doesn't matter if you're in Tokyo, Hong Kong, or Singapore, or Africa, or Guayaquil, Ecuador, or Miami, or Canada, or Central America, it doesn't matter. You know, you are now realizing that you probably need to start moving in a way that is going to take you closer to technology, that's going to take you closer to efficiency. So that way, you know, the next time we have, you know, any of these pandemic scenarios, whatever it might be, trade spats, you're going to be that much more prepared as an independent small to medium forwarder to take on what's heading your way. Yeah. Even if there's no pandemic, the consumers are starting to expect technology. And as I can say this, I'm one of the younger baby boomers, maybe the youngest of the baby boomers. And people of my generation are used to technology now. We expect that technology would be part of the experience. Our children's generation, they really expect it. So the idea that you can drag them into a manual process or, hey, call me. And especially when they say, hey, I'm using Convoy on the other side or I'm using one of the other digital freight brokers on the other side for my over the road. And then you go and so talk to some freight forwarder who doesn't have the same tech. And because they're, again, the industry is much different, more complex. There's still an expectation that you got to meet. Absolutely. And that's not going to go anywhere anytime soon. It's going to get worse. Miles, this is great stuff. So we went through this freight forwarding process and really from the view of the freight forwarder. And then we talked about some of the problems. What are some of the problems that people who are doing freight forwarding, so like the shippers, what struggles are they having these days? So I think the shippers, right, in line with their expectations is that, you know, they're still struggling to get the visibility and the transparency that they need to best serve their own clients, right? And I think that they're, you know, seeing all this brand new, amazing technology. Again, you know, even beyond Amazon, you know, DHL tracking numbers, you know, are, are fantastic. FedEx URLs are perfectly fine. You know, you're getting SMSs across the board 
with some of these bigger players. So, you know, if I'm importing, let's say a million dollars worth of iPhones or something like that, why on earth do I not have that same level of transparency and clarity that I get, you know, if I order something, you know, on Amazon, right, which is just a couple bucks. So I think that that trend is going to kind of continue. And I think as a shipper, like you're always striving to get that visibility. I think you also are having to deal with historically not being able to react quick enough. And even as a result of not even it being your own actions, right? I think, you know, the freight forwarder was getting bad information from the liner, you know, and by the time the freight forwarder was able to get that back to you, you know, it was way too late and you already lost your money. At that point, you know, it becomes tons of challenge, tons of challenges sort of present themselves. And, you know, you start peeling back the onion and it starts eating up your organization. And, you know, as a shipper, you also need those tools to better deal with and interact with your forwarders too. So I think you're also starting to see these very, well, you've already seen them, these shipper-focused tools emerge into the market. Right. You know, another challenge, and I can say this because I've seen it and I've lived it a little bit, is we talked about trying to get fast frequent. So sometimes when you're trying to win the business, when you're the shipper, and somebody says, well, how much is it going to cost? You have to have some idea what the freight forwarding cost is. <laughs> so you kind of walk hat in hand over to the freight forwarder and start saying, yeah, you know, this isn't an actual freight quote for something I'm moving yet. I'm hoping to win the business. And I always think that is the worst thing to be able to say to a freight forwarder who says, oh yeah, I'll just jump through hoops for the next few hours looking for business that might never come to me, looking to get a quote for somebody who might come to me. So I always think if you don't commit as a shipper, if you don't commit to a freight forwarder, that's a big ask. <laughs> and I can say this myself, I hate doing that. But if somebody talks to me about, hey, can you get me a freight quote? I always say, I'll help you get a freight quote on something, but you better be willing to give my friend here who's getting you the quote, you better give him a shot at the business because it's not fair otherwise. Yep, absolutely. You know, and there's just so much time that's just being lost in productivity, being lost during those phases and those steps, you know, all along the process, you know, not just, you know, at the beginning or the end or while things are in transit, you know, there just needs to be overall just a fundamental, you know, and it's happening, right? There just needs to be a kind of like a fundamental overhaul in terms of technology that's available today to the independent forwarder. And, and it also you know needs to be affordable to them. It needs to be in line with their small business and their price sensitivities to existing software too. So I think that over time, the shippers also have experienced you know, the Amazon effect too. So beyond their expectations there, I think they probably have done their research and they probably have worked with forwarders that are a little more digitally savvy than you have. And they know what they can expect from you and what they should reasonably expect from you within the next few years, right? Especially if they're a loyal customer. And hopefully they're going to give you that commitment, as you mentioned. But until you start seeing tools to help them in that day-to-day to give more structure, it's going to continue to be a challenge, I think, for them. I'll tell you, Miles, once they've seen like a Flexport, good luck having them come back if you don't have technology. Flexport does a great job. So anyway, Miles, we covered a lot of ground here. We talked about the basics. We talked some of the problems that freight forwarders are going through. We talked to some of the problems shippers are going through. Put some final thoughts on this, and then I want to talk a little bit about what's going on over at Cargo Logic. Sure. I think echoing our entire conversation so far, it's quite apparent that freight forwarding is changing rapidly due to a variety of factors, you know, market-based, technology-based competition-based, I mean, you name it, it's changing rapidly. And also, to your point, in terms of uh, investment that's happening at the VC level, a McKinsey study came out a couple months ago, where they said that 95% of all the VC money that's been invested in logistics has been, you know, and I think it's roughly like 25 or 26 billion. It's been 
only since 2015, right? So it's really early days and you have a ton of capital and a flood of capital going to a handful of startups, right? If you think about it in the whole scheme of things around the world, you know, so I think that it's incumbent upon the freight forwarder to stay in touch with and in tune with what's happening digitally in tune, in tune with customer expectations. They need to be aware of their competitors, you know, those industry heavyweights, you know, the liners, their providers that have the budgets and the capabilities you see them flexing and throwing their weight around, especially these days. And right from a technology perspective, it's never been better to get into technology, right? And, and that also translates to the forwarder and the shipper, meaning that I'm going to get my data right quicker, faster, and cheaper. You know, the APIs are becoming cheaper. The number of startups that are in different spaces continue to flourish around the globe. Incubators and accelerators are slowly expanding. There's a handful of them now. I'm sure there's going to be way more in, in just a few years. And I think that it's absolutely critical. You know, and I urge every freight forwarder, uh, especially those that are independent, you know, small to medium, to start just taking steps, you know, towards being digital. You know, hop on a few webinars that helps teach you and your team about change management culture, customer expectations, and then start hopping on demos, right? Don't be afraid sometimes, I think, of some of these new tools and these new companies that are out there. You know, don't just think and want to assume some of the things that they're doing are going to happen. And instead, you know, talk to them directly. And even that alone is a great way to stay in tune and in touch with how quickly uh, trends are changing. So I think now is the time and it's no longer an option, you know, as you mentioned, to start embracing digital. Yeah, excellent, excellent. So what's going on over at CargoLogic? Thanks for asking. At CargoLogic, we're helping small to medium, independent freight brokers and forwarders better stay in sync, collaborate and improve operations with their customers. So you can kind of think of our application as a really customer-friendly, affordable way where these independent players can start interfacing digitally and start improving operations and get out of all those activities that keep them from operating strategically, you know, start moving away from, hey, where's my cargo messages to a system or a tool. And that's what we're striving to build, something that's really going to help close that gap between the smaller players and the larger players that have the teams and the budgets to continue advancing and to make these investments. And so that's what we're working on, Joe. And proud to say we got 60 companies around the globe using our platform. So I don't think that this trend that you're seeing that we've discussed on the topic today are going to be changing anytime soon. You're absolutely right about that. So what's your website? So you can visit our website. It's just cargologic.com, C-A-R-G-O-L-O-G-I-K.com. You can also find myself on LinkedIn, Miles Varghese. I imagine you're going to put some of these things in the show notes as well, Joe. I sure will. But appreciate it. Thanks for having us on and having me on. So it's Cargologic with a K at the end rather than a C at the end, right? Yeah, that's correct. Excellent. Miles, this is a great education. I appreciate you going through this with us. I think one of the challenges in our business is understanding the basics of stuff that we don't maybe do every single day. And also to your point, the world is changing very rapidly, even within this freight forwarding space. So we all have to keep up. So thank you for the primer. Thanks for having me, Joe. Appreciate it. Had a great time. Hopefully we can do it again in a couple of years and see how things have changed. A couple of years? Come on, man. <laughs> a couple of months. You're right. You're right. You're right. Things are changing exponentially. <laughs> Thank you so much, Miles. Thanks, everyone, for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Till next time, Onward and Upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com.